Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. So my name is Brian, for those of you who haven't met me, and I'm part of the team here at Suncoast Church, and my role at the moment is to look after Suncoast Christian Care, which is our outreach arm of the church. We have a, uh, a low-cost grocery shop down in Nambour, and that's just a small part of what we do, but it is your ministry, and I'd love you to come down and check us out sometime. We're open between nine and three. Why don't you come down and check us out, say good day, and if you want, you can even sign up to get your groceries from there as well. You'll save a bundle. It's my advertisement. <laughs> you know what I also like, uh, as, as um, some of you sort of think, I don't even know you. Well, it's great having new people come and join the church uh, while I'm away. And so in my little hiatus, uh, unforced one, no, sorry, it was a forced one, uh, that uh, there's a lot of new faces here, which is fantastic. So welcome here. And if you are new, if it's your first time here, make sure you take us up on having a coffee. Put it on uh, Steve's account. He'll love to do that for you, or even better, put it on John and Chloe's account because they're not here and they can't say no. So just head out there to the the uh, the next step desk and uh, make yourself at home. Might as well get a free course meal while you're about it as well. So welcome. And so we're wrapping up our series on what God is like, and we've had some uh, great teaching about what God is like from um, Jono, from Brendan, from Nathan, and even before that, Tim, as he wrapped up the previous series, uh, Tim Buxton, he came and talked a bit about what God was like as well. This morning, um, I have the privilege to wrap this series up, and I would really like to share with you about what God was like to me through uh, a recent experience which um, I've had uh, that was certainly, I was not willing to go through this. But God has showed himself incredibly to me over this time. So I'd like to share with you three points about just the goodness of God around my life through uh, the trouble that uh, I caused myself. Well, actually, I didn't cause myself. It was not self-inflicted. So anyway, have you ever experienced a suddenly in life? All of a sudden, something just changes. It's just a moment where you sort of think, ah, I don't think life is ever going to be the same again or it's going to take quite a while to get back to that time again. Uh, maybe you have. Maybe you've just had a suddenly this week. I don't know. But for me, I had a suddenly, and I want to share with you about this suddenly. Um, now, suddenlies are actually biblical in the Bible. They are biblical. Uh, uh, Mary had a suddenly when an angel appeared to her. Um, Moses had a suddenly when he saw all of a sudden a burning bush, but it wasn't really burning. And so these things do happen. And so for me, I had a suddenly, and it was on the third week in May, um, uh, this suddenly actually happened to me. So I went to bed, as you normally do at night time, and about an hour and a half later, I woke up with a pain in my chest. And I thought, that's not very nice. Um, and I just found it really hard to breathe. And so I, I tried to get comfortable and I tossed and turned and just, oh, it just it was just quite difficult to breathe. So I got up the next day red-eyed and sort of thought, well, I better go to work uh, and, um, and see how the crew are going. So, and I knew I wouldn't be able to last there all that long. So I just ducked my head in the door just to say, you're all good. You're all, you guys are all good. You can do your thing. Great. I've got to go. And so, uh, and the pain just got worse and worse. And so we rang the doctor and as usual, you can't get into your doctor it wasn't until 5.40 p.m. where I could get in. So I rung the local doctor here at Suncoast Church and he gave me some tips. 
So Kerith drove me down to a medical centre. He said, "If you should I say this? I suppose I can. If you go down to the medical centre, uh, they'll see you straight away and you'll be able to get to and do what you need to do. So I thought, great. So we, we, Kerith drove me down to this medical centre. You go in the door, you know, the door squeaks and everybody's in there already and it's just silence and they're just looking at you thinking, I'm going to be before you, all right? Uh, so, so just take a seat. There's about 30 people in there. I couldn't believe it. It was terrible. So I go up to the reception desk and there's a sign, little A4 thing laminated, which says, if you are suffering chest pain and shortness of breath, make sure you tell us. And I thought, you beauty. <laughs> so I go up to the reception and uh, they said to me, g'day, uh, um, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I've got number one and number two uh, of your list. And so there's probably people sitting in there with a, a bruised thumb or something. Thinking they were really wanting to get onto that bed, which I was about to go to. And they were just giving me the death stares. And then they said, because you hear everything, don't you, in these places? And so, uh, so I went there and they said, okay, you need to come with us. So I think Kerith sorted out who I was and everything with them. And then I went and sat down on a bed. And then they uh, started to uh, get the stethoscope out and do a few things on me. And then they said, ah, you're actually quite bad. Uh, we need to call the ambulance and you need to go to hospital straight away. So, great. Um, so they call, call the ambulance, they, uh, they come and get me, and then um, uh, take off, and then they had to stop because they were trying to get something jabbed in my arm, and they couldn't do it very well. Uh, so they eventually got that done, sent me off to the university hospital. What a great place it is. It's amazing. I've been carted to and thrown and backwards and forwards. Now there's floors which are empty at the moment, just waiting for us to come and sit in them, and lay in them. It's amazing. You get carted. I had a new orderly and he had no idea where he was going. So uh, it was just awesome when I was going to be carted around. Anyway, sorry, I'll get back to what I was talking about here. So uh, I get to hospital and then they start to check you out. And so what they did, they diagnosed me with pericarditis. Now, I have learned a lot about anatomy over the last few months. I knew nothing at all before. I did not know we had a sack around our heart full of fluid, which... I don't know, it holds us there, I suppose. I'm not sure, really sure what it does. But it, it seemed to protect my heart. And so the sac around my heart had expanded and was causing the pain so I couldn't breathe properly. Uh, and so, so they gave me this medication, which started to fix that really quite quickly. Uh, but as they were investigating further, as they dig and delve, um, one of them said, oh, you have a heart murmur. And I said, well, what is a heart murmur? I don't know. I don't hear it mumbling at me. Um, so she said... Uh, it's uh, you have your heart and you've got valves going in different places. And I had uh, the, the, the valve which goes to the aorta um, uh, opens and closes, but mine doesn't close all the way. So a heart murmur is like the blood pumps and then some blood gets sucked back into the heart. So that's a heart murmur in case you don't know. If you want to hear the detail, come and see me because I'm awesome at it now. Uh, so my, my valve wasn't working properly. In fact, I... Normal valves have three little flappy bits. Mine only had two. And so that's why I wasn't working properly. Then uh, they said, okay, we need to go and give you an echocardiogram. So I said, great, let's go and do that. And so you lay down on the bed and they put this mushy stuff all over you. And yeah, dots everywhere. I've had dots. Ladies don't care about her hairy bodies. It kills us when they come off. Um, so the, the guy was having a look around and he's, uh, sorry, it's up here actually, uh, had a look around and uh, he said, wow. I said, really? So I said, so I was looking at the same time. I said, what is that? He said, that's your aorta. And it's really, really big. And it shouldn't be really, really big. 
Our aortas should be like two to three centimetres in diameter. Mine was seven centimetres. So if you think of like a plumbing pipe, that's the immediate thing that came into my mind was a plumbing pipe. It's as big as a plumbing pipe, which goes to your sink. And I thought, wow, that's actually quite big. And he said, yeah. He said, it's actually quite dangerous. If it pops, you're gone. So I thought, all right, then no worries. So um, so they take me back to the the um, the bed and everything. And, uh, and then they just start to uh, do some more stuff and f- fill me with fluids and bits and pieces and, and just try and test everything. Now, this is a university hospital. You know what that means? They train. They practice on you. And so this lady doctor comes up to me and she said, I hear you've got a heart murmur. Can I check it out? I said, yeah, no worries. So she goes, that's a beauty. Now, we've got some trainee doctors. Would you mind if they came and they actually assessed you don't tell them what you've got or anything. They've got six minutes to diagnose what you've got. And so I said, okay, you've got nothing else to do. Might as well. So, uh, so they come in one at a time doing their six-minute thing. And then uh, I think one of them got it. The other ones were not really sure. But uh, one of them picked it out pretty quick. And so uh, it was great. Then they said, I've got an exam on Saturday. If you're still here, do you think we could actually use you as the bunny? And I said again, well, look, I'm probably not going anywhere. You can if you want, uh, but it didn't quite happen because I had to get shot off elsewhere. Uh, so anyway, so I, I was diagnosed with all that. So uh, what I had was um, uh, I had to have an aortic root replacement and a new valve put in, a mechanical valve, uh, guaranteed for 30 years, I believe. After that, I'm not sure what goes on. I'll get back to hospital in a minute, all right? Um, after I'd got home, you have time on my hands, you know, and so I, uh, I started, and I didn't, couldn't be bothered reading, I couldn't concentrate to read, I couldn't do anything, Donna was saying, you're doing anything spiritual, and I said, nah, um, so anyway, uh, so I started looking at the TV, I, I grabbed YouTube, and I was checking YouTube out, and I found these guys who shoot slingshots, and they are amazing, just how well they shoot slingshots, you say, what's this got to do with anything, I'll tell you, I'll bring it back, really, I will, uh, so I was just watching, they could shoot tin cans and other things, um, very accurately. And so I thought, how do they do that? So I discovered uh, this guy who does uh, training on YouTube and he tells you how to do it. And so there are a few quite important rules to the law of shooting a slingshot. So um, first of all, it's your reference. You need a reference. So you've got your slingshot in your hand here. I forgot to bring mine. Um, yeah. So you look, it's your reference point between your eye and where your slingshot is. That's number one. Number two is when you pull back on the, the rubber thing, uh, you've got to have a, uh, 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 an anchor point, they call it. So it's good to have an anchor point somewhere on your body. So they say, here's not bad, um, here's okay, here if you want, it doesn't really matter. Whatever you do, just do the same thing over and over. And then it's the way you release the, uh, the slingshot. If you do all those things over and over and over, you start to develop muscle memory, he said. And I thought, cool, muscle memory, nice one. And so, you know, we use muscle memory when we drive cars and all that sort of stuff. So I'm getting to the point of getting back to where I was. Um, Eventually, I was brought up in a Christian home, right? And I was taught to pray. And we pray and we ask God for things. We just start to communicate with God. So from a little child, we were praying for different things. I was praying for... um, uh, Simon and Paulie, who are missionaries in missionary kids in Indonesia, and all these different things. And um, so I learned to pray, and I, I learned at a young age that God listens to me. So um, I remember we used to live on a farm, and uh, Dad said to me, "You can have this calf." I said, "Thanks, Dad. That's great." So I had to look after it, and uh, so this little calf was going okay. 
And obviously, I didn't look after it very well, but I got quite sick. So we called the vet, and the vet said, it's going to die, say goodbye to it. And I was a bit shattered. Uh, I was about seven years old. And I still remember leaning up against the fence near a well and saying, God, the vet says my calf's going to die. Can you heal it? Can you make it better, please? Anyway, miraculously, this thing uh, recovers and gets better and even had calves of its own later on. And so from then, uh, even through my life until now, I developed muscle memory that, that God actually cares for me. So during times of trouble, uh, I can call on God and he will come to me. So the muscle memory in my spirit world was just sort of growing. You hear what I'm saying? And so uh, can I ask you a question? Where does your muscle memory go when things go wrong? Look down, are you a glass half empty? I remember there was a, a, a comic or a cartoon we used to watch. I don't know whether it was Gulliver's Travels or not, but one guy was always saying, we're doomed, I know we are, the whole world's ruined. Are you that type, kind of person or are you actually a glass half full person who'd say, it's okay, everything is going to be okay, it's all right. So I don't know where you're at on the spectrum as far as that's concerned, the, the positive factor, but God taught me from a young age, that he actually does care for me and that he does listen. And I pray that you might develop, if, if, you're, if you go to the negative, I pray that you might start to develop new muscle memory in your spirit to be able to draw you to God instead of maybe drawing you away from God. Back to the story, okay? When, our, when suddenly's come, our eyes do look somewhere. Uh, they, they can wander off. As I said, they can, you can maybe get depressed or whatever, but we've got to train ourselves to go where... God wants us to be. And maybe you're not even a Christian yet, a follower of Jesus. Can I encourage you to, that there's a God who loves you and cares for you and actually wants you to communicate with him because he wants to communicate with you. Give it a try is what I say. So with my muscle memory, I started to think about God and that he actually does care for me. And so I started to read verses about peace. And so uh, there is one in here, it says here in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, it says here, be anxious for nothing. Are you an anxious person? Don't be anxious. It says here, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I had a peace which was just ridiculous through this time. Um, I was not concerned or worried one little bit. I can honestly say that. I'm not saying that to float my boat. I'm saying that to float God's boat because uh, he just gave me this amazing peace right from the start that no matter what happened, it's going to be all right anyway. And I did not have any idea of the journey I was about to go on. But uh, God was so good. He guarded my heart and my soul and he just kept me in peace. His peace just came over me and stayed with me this whole time. So I... They said to me, we can't do it here at a practicing university hospital. We have to send you to the real place where they actually do it for good. So um, they said, you're going down to Prince Charles Hospital. I thought, wow, okay. Um, uh, so I uh, actually said to him, I said, look, I've got a fundraising dinner I've got to go to tonight. Is that okay if I just sort of duck out of bed with my stickers and everything and go to that? And they said, you don't realise the seriousness of what you've got. Stay put, boy. So I said, all right then. So I get chauffeur-driven by ambulance down to um, Prince Charles Hospital on Friday night. Nothing's going to happen over the weekend in hospital, is it? never does, even if you've got a blown-out aorta. So uh, I, I got down there, and they got me all comfy in the bed, and everything was all good. I had my own room. Uh, I could see the cafe from a couple of stories down. I thought, I've got to get down there somehow. Um, but they wouldn't let me even do that. Uh, and you get in there, there's the bipping noises. They just drove me insane. And for some reason, they just parked, you know, the blood pressure things on wheels? They just parked these things outside my door. 
um, and they're all got low batteries, and so they're all beeping at different times, you know. And so I said to an orderly, I said, what is that noise? And he said, it's just showing, saying it's got a low battery. I said, where do you plug it in? I'll go and do it. And he said, don't worry, I'll fix them. I felt like putting a no parking sign on the, uh, on the wall there and say, please don't park those things here. It's just driving me nuts, making my aorta blow bigger. So, um, uh, so I got there and I settled in and everything else like that. Um, and uh, they, they're amazing down there at Prince Charles Hospital. They are, they're great at University Hospital, but outstanding down there at um, the Prince Charles Hospital. Absolutely amazing. So they did more tests on me. And then the night before uh, the operation, you know you're getting close when they start to shave you. Uh, Everywhere. Yep. Uh, so the night before the, sur- before the operation, the surgeon comes in and explains everything, that you're going to have an aortic root re- replacement uh, and you've got three options for valves. You've got a, you can have a, a bovine one, which is just a nice way of saying cow. You can have a pig one or you can have a mechanical one. And I said, I'll have a pig one, please. And they said, no, you're in the middle age bracket. You don't want to have, to have this operation in about 15 years' time. We're going to give you a mechanical one. They didn't tell me it's noisy. Uh, at the time, they just tell you all the good things. So I said, "All right, I didn't want to have it because it means I've got to be on warfarin too for the rest of my life, apparently." So, uh, and I didn't want that. But in the end, I just said to God, it's, "You deal with it. I'm not." So he did, uh, and then so he explains everything that was going on, and he said, "Is there any questions?" And I said, "Yes, there is a question. How are you going to cut me open?" Uh, I said to them. I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, what sort of tool do you use? Is it like a..." And they said, well, we've got a machine for it. I said, great. Well, what is it? Is it like a grind, angle grinder? Is it like a, a jigsaw or what is it like? He said, oh, well, it's a bit like a jigsaw, really. I said, great. I hope it has smaller blades than what the normal jigsaws have. Otherwise, you'll completely cut me in half. So I'm just sort of curious. So I just had to ask what, what it was that they were going to cut me open with. And so anyway, sort of, they cut me open and did the operation. Uh, first thing I remember um, after the operation was I was gagging as they were trying to take this thing out, the, the breathing thing. And apparently they actually tried that a few times and I crashed um, a few times. I had to shove it back in or do something. But I, I do remember I'm trying to pull this thing and I'm trying to throw up this big stick. That's what it felt like. But uh, anyway, I got that out. And then as I sort of came to, I saw Vanessa, she was coming towards me and I said, what day is it? And she said, it's Thursday. And I nearly died of shock there. Well, what? Uh, I went in Wednesday morning and it's Thursday. I said, they tell you all the good news. They don't tell you the bad news. They said that... Uh, I'll have about a four-hour operation. I'll be in ICU for 18 to 48 hours, in the ward for a few days and home. And I thought, beauty, a couple of weeks I'll be out. No, a week or so I'll be out and done. Uh, but unfortunately, um, one, it was a six-and-a-half-hour operation. Two, uh, I didn't come to till the next day. And so that blew my 18 hours, which I'd worked out. I'd worked everything out that I was going to be out walking around and home pretty soon. But I was in ICU for eight days uh, so, uh, yeah, I was, I was, my mind was starting to go down a little bit at that stage as well. And um, so one night during ICU, sorry I'm boring you, um, but I'm telling you this for a reason. Um, point number one, I'll go back to point number one. It was actually peace. God gave me peace, all right, uh, in case you didn't figure that one out. Sorry. I haven't preached for a long time. So, uh, you know, I've, I might get me number two if it me with number one or whatever, but it's all right. Uh, number one, God gave me peace, all right? I'll just let you know that. It was an interesting... It says this peace which words cannot explain, and it's exactly that. And so whatever trouble you're going through, God can give you a peace if you ask him that words cannot explain. Just amazing, amazing peace. So um, uh, so I was in ICU, and I had a really rough night that night, not that I knew. Um, but, uh, so I crashed, and what, I thought, what does crash mean? Well, it means my blood pressure went really low and my heart rate went really low as well. 
And so uh, it went down to about 30 beats a minute and uh, it was not really good. And um, so that night, Vanessa woke up at 2.45 a.m. in the morning with pains in her chest. That's great, isn't it? But she thought, actually, I'm not sick at all. It was God prompting her to pray for me. And so she really felt that impression from God was to pray for Brian. And so, uh, so she prayed for about an hour until the burden sort of lifted. Once she felt like she'd prayed or she fell asleep, she told me to wait for the burden to lift, but she probably just fell asleep. Uh, she came in the next day and uh, as she does, she just asked the, uh, the nurses how I went that night. And they said, well, he had a really, really rough night. He wasn't doing very well at all. And Vanessa said, was that at 2.45 in the morning? And they said, yes, it was. She said, oh, okay, fair enough. And so, uh, but God, he knew and he protected me by waking up my wife and saying, can you please pray for Brian? Because he's not doing that well at the moment. You need to intercede for him. And what just has blown me away is is prayer that people from um, all over the world have done amazingly, um, do a bit of work in Congo. And uh, it's just humbling to see uh, the body of Christ praying for us and watching over us. So uh, it's God doing it. He's prompting people to pray. So number two, God protects. There's no doubt about it. The Bible says this, he's a shield to those who trust him. A shield to those who trust him. What we have to do is trust him. Do you trust him? Do you trust God to be a shield for you? Uh, just, I'm no one special. Um, and so whatever he does for me, he'll do for you. It's no problem. He's a shield to those who trust him. Can I encourage you just to trust him? The Bible also says, Christ, this is amazing, really. Christ, who is even at the right hand of God, also makes intercession for us. We've got the God of the universe praying for us all the time. Get that, that he's praying for me, he's praying for you, he's interceding for us. There's a couple of verses which say that. If you think I've made it up, it's actually really there uh, in the Bible. It's actually in a couple of spots where it says that that God, he he intercedes for us, which is absolutely amazing. It is mind-blowing to think that the God who created everything thinks enough to pray for me. Absolutely mind-blowing and humbling. I hear people say to me that God, God has abandoned them, um, but it's absolutely not true. They may have chosen to go that way in their mind, I don't know, but God never abandons us because he loves us so much. So I was in uh, ICU and it was just so difficult for me to breathe um, for a few days as one of my lungs had collapsed. All these different things, I don't tell you now, this is this, 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 this. It's all the good news, which is great, uh, but uh, there was a few things which happened. So one of my lungs had collapsed and I just could not breathe. I found it so difficult, it was just terrible, uh, that I actually felt like giving up. Um, I would, in between breaths, I'd have a microsleep because I was that tired. My body was just tired, just trying to breathe. And I would, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd fall asleep in between breaths. And so they were sort of longish breaths. And so Vanessa was there. And then after a while, she would squeeze my hand. I would go and then start to breathe again, take a few breaths. And I was like, you're trying to take the breath for previous breaths which you didn't breathe and then trying to take some breaths for the future. You know what I mean? And so I was absolutely stuffed. I was worn out. Uh, but uh, Nessa was sort of squeezing me every 10 seconds of what it was to make me breathe again. Uh, and so uh, during, it was during that time that my mental state started to go downhill. Um, and I'd never been depressed at all. Might have had moments of, you know, stuff goes wrong in life. But I've honestly say I've never been depressed. But uh, my mind started to take a dive at that time because um, I just couldn't see a way out. So, um, uh, and it was there when, again, I just sort of felt the presence of God. So I sat to, had to start to um, uh, get the old muscle memory going again and say, I know God's with me, but he's good. So, um, uh, you know, I just sort of said, God, will you be with me through this? I couldn't even verbalize prayer. I, I was just over it. Um, Vanessa was playing some nice Christian music, as you do when you're a Christian and you're sick in hospital. And uh, I was off for a while. She said, 
do you want it on again? And I said, no, I'm absolutely sick of it. Just keep it off. That's the state I was in at the time. So, uh, so my mind was not in a very good place at all. And, um, and I'm not normally like that. And I don't know what you're like in your mind, whether you've had times of depression. Maybe you're in depression at the moment and things are just clouding it around you. Can I encourage you, please, just to talk to God about it to start with. Just give it to him. He cares for you. Remember I said to you, he's praying for you. You might think no one at all cares, but he cares for you. There's no, deba- no doubt about it. He loves you and he cares for you. Secondly, if I can say, talk about it with someone. Us blokes, we don't talk much, but we should. And so I was actually an emotional mess in the hospital. Um, when I saw my brothers, I, I burst out in tears. <clears throat> um, they say the heart is the seat of emotions, I think, because they knifed me in the heart and just sort of did something to my emotions. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bit more soft than what I was, it seems. More sympathetic. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, I was, I was not good. Uh, but, but God was with me, and people were praying for me, and they had my back. He's with you. Please don't isolate yourself. Come and talk to us. I'm not a professional. There are other professionals. I can nod my head and pat you on the back and say, it's nice to hear, but sometimes we need professional help as well, um, which we absolutely do. So after six days of my heart saying, I don't like what you've done to me, um, they decided to wheel me into the fridge. Uh, It's freezing in there. Uh, The fridge is the coldest um, operating theatre in in Prince Charles. Uh, I said, why is it so cold in here? Uh, Because I feel the cold a bit. So they wheeled me in and then they had to, uh, they shoved a pacemaker in me for good measure as well. Uh, so I was awake when they did that. But those of you who had pacemaker in, you probably have. They, you're awake. I could feel them. I said, are you screwing something into me? And they said, yeah, we are actually. I said, great, thanks. Um, so two days afterwards, I was fine. I was really doing well. I was able to get out of um, uh, ICU into the ward. And then uh, I said to them, what have I got to do to get home? Tell me what I've got to do. So you have to be able to walk up a couple of steps and do this, that and the other. And I walked my feet off in the ward just so I could get healthy and good and get uh, to get home as quick as I could. And gee, it was a great day when uh, I drove out and I could actually see trees and I could see this and see that. And so I think, wow, it's amazing. God is good. Uh, so I had a week at home and doing really, really well. Then there was a complication. Um, I, uh, uh, I just, my body just uh, sort of crashed again. And so I had to go back in the hospital for five days. Uh, but this time at the practicing hospital, they were able to look after me, which is great. And they did a really good job. Sorry to those who work at the hospital. They really are amazing. There's no doubt about it. Um, so they sorted me out. I actually, uh, for the first three days, I was in the cardiac unit. And then when they decided that all is good with my heart and everything else, uh, they ended up sending me over to the geriatric unit. They <laughs> did. And I'm sure they took me to the wrong spot. That's when they gave me these, went through these war, these whole floors with no one in it, thinking maybe they should leave me there by myself, but they didn't. The third thing I want to share with you that God provides, he provided emotional support for me when no one else could. Um, he provided those to pray for me when, when I needed. He provided mateship. When I was at home, I just couldn't believe the amount of people who actually cared for me to come and um, look after me. Um, uh, I, had a, I had vertigo. I've got vertigo. I've still got it a little bit. Uh, and so the best way I can describe it is there's, there's a vestibular there's a, um, nerve, back of the ear, more anatomy I'm learning, um, and it had swollen and uh, therefore um, uh, it, it gave me vertigo. You get, there's different types of vertigo. I've still got it to a bit and um, I was walking with a wobble for quite a bit so people would come and take me for a walk because I needed to walk to be able to get fit after the operation uh, and so I walked with a wobble. I still walk with a wobble at night time because my eyes can't sort of quite see. Um, do things to balance with. So you see me, because it's pretty dark, and if you see me running into something, don't worry about it. Just just aim me to the door and just say, just go there. It'll be okay. I don't mind. It says here in the Bible that my God 
shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He provides. He knew we needed financial help. He knew we needed meals because I couldn't cook. And um, <laughs> uh, now Vanessa was there always for me, and she's a great cook. But people were just so kind, just um, giving giving us the support. Um, a lot of it was an emotional support um, and mateship as well. Really needed that during the time. Had a lot of time off, and uh, it was a bit of time to think. Um, but uh, God was just so kind in what he did for us. So, you know, our thoughts don't determine what God is like. So we're just bringing this into land now and we'll get off and get out of here so you can go home. But our thoughts don't determine what God is like. And maybe you think, oh, I think God's like this, but our thoughts don't determine what God is like. Our feelings don't determine what God is like. For a while, the way my feelings were, I thought God didn't care a rip about me. But that's not true. Our feelings don't do that. Our circumstances don't determine what God is like either. Our circumstances can show us what God is like. If we let him. You know what I'm saying? Because we can go through circumstances anyway and go, oh God, stuff you because you don't care about me. Well, he actually does. But our circumstances can show us what God is like if we let him. So where are you in the mix of all this? Where's your muscle memory when it comes to uh, remember? thinking about the goodness of God, or maybe you're not even there yet as a, an unchurched person. You're just not there yet. Just give it a go. Just try and do something, one little step to trust in God. Because we can often do life and we can try and do it alone if we want. We can do it together. You know, the other thing about developing muscle memory is some spiritual backbone. It's great to get part of a connect group. Uh, we've got a community that cares for you. great to come to church regularly doesn't make you a Christian, but, but it's great to do it, just to be in fellowship with other people. Uh, it's just really good to be able to do that. And so where are you at? And maybe you've had a suddenly moment, you're in the middle of it, and you sort of think God doesn't care at all. Well, I can tell you he does. But try it for yourself. He loves us. He loves us. He's so kind. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.